Hey, good morning, Springbrook. My name is Pastor Dan Harrison. I'm so glad you're here with us today as we kick off a new series, Love at Last Sight. Now, we've heard the term love at first sight many times. And is that really true, though? Do we really have a deep, mature love for someone at first sight? No. We have an attraction, maybe, initially for someone at first sight. We have an infatuation for them. But love is something that takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of devotion. So we're talking not love at first sight, but love at last sight. The whole idea is that we want to have a mature, healthy, Christ-centered love over a period of time with our spouse and with our kids and with our friends. So I think about the first time I met my wife and I had (laughs) attraction at first sight, but now today, so many years later, I have love at last sight. I'm looking at her now and I appreciate the maturity in our love and our relationship with one another, which is different than 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we continue to seek to deepen our love for one another. And hopefully the last time that we see each other on this earth, that will be the point of our most mature love for each other. So when we talk about love at last sight, we're talking about an ever deepening, meaningful relationship that you either have with your spouse, your kids, your friends, your relatives, those people that mean so much to you. This is a church-wide initiative study, which means that we have a curriculum that we're going through. So I'm teaching the curriculum for the weekends, and then you have all of our small groups who are teaching the curriculum that's on the same topic, and then Uh, You have a book uh, that you'll be studying, uh, reading, uh, Love at Last Sight. It's got 30 different chapters because this is a 30-day challenge, so a chapter for each day. This is from Christian Harry Shook. They are authors of uh, One Month to Live. How many remember One Month to Live several years ago? Uh, We did that. Well, they've come out with another great church-wide initiative, and The value of doing this is that when I'm talking about it on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights and when small groups are talking about it and when we're interfacing uh, with the Word of God and with different resources that help explain the Word of God, it saturates our minds with this concept of having better relationships. And it accelerates our spiritual growth. So hold on, I want to challenge you guys to take the love at last sight challenge. And the core of this is the fact that relationships are the most important thing in life. There's no doubt about that. I have many times been in a hospital room where someone was dying and the family was gathered around and I've never heard someone who was dying say, hey, listen, could you go home and grab my sports car and just park it out in front of the hospital so I can look at it before I die. I never had somebody who has asked their family to hang up all of their diplomas and 
their awards, kind of set up an eagle wall on there in the hospital so they can reflect upon all they've accomplished. Never had anyone say, listen, go ahead and bring as much cash as you can and just surround my head, surround my bed with stacks of cash because that's what life is all about, right? Of course not. What do people want in those last moments of life? They want the people that they care for the most. They want those relationships that transform life. And I just wish that all of us could take that type of mentality and live it out every day and realize that relationships are the most important. First, our relationship with God, loving God, and then our relationship with the people we're closest to, loving others. I know that in my life, as I'm sure it is uh, with you, that many times we, we push relationships to the back burner because we have so many things that need to be done, things that people are asking us to do, and they're giving us a deadline, plus things that we feel we need to get done to feel good about ourselves, to accomplish certain goals. And so we look at our to-do list every day, and the one thing that we say, well, that can wait till tomorrow, is relationships, because my wife will be here tomorrow, my husband will be here tomorrow, my kids will be here tomorrow, my friend will be here tomorrow. But the problem is, is that becomes a lifestyle. You're always pushing relationships off. And you say, they'll be there tomorrow. i got to get these important things done. And our priorities get all screwed up. Well, the goal of this series is to learn how to build healthier, mature, Christ-centered relationships. And the first thing we need to learn is we've got to put relationships with God and with others first. It's got to be the main thing in our life. And the first skill or the first artistic style that we're going to talk about in this series is the art of being all there. The art of being all there for people. To give our full attention over to people. And I want to learn some insights about this by looking at a familiar story in Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. This is about Jesus Christ. And what had happened was is that he and his disciples were traveling from city to city. Now, before this, he had sent out his 70 disciples. He had a larger group of disciples outside of his 12 disciples, which he spent most of his time with, but he had 70 other followers, and he sent them out two by two. So 35 teams went out and went to different villages and proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the kingdom of God. Some villages said, we don't want anything to do with it. Other villages embraced it. So he's coming around now personally to talk with the villages that were interested. And the village here is Bethany, we know, after referring to other passages. So he was on this tour six months probably before he went to the cross. So now as Jesus Christ and his disciples went on their way to these different villages, Jesus entered Bethany, a village. 
And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Well, you know, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, brother and sisters. And we know that Jesus Christ is very close to them. Of course, you're probably familiar with the fact that Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. But that was just before the crucifixion. In fact, that was one of the contributing factors to the crucifixion because people were just in awe of Jesus Christ, and religious leaders were jealous, so that kind of accelerated what happened at the crucifixion. But I, I believe that this is maybe the first time that Jesus Christ has met Mary and Martha. It doesn't say Lazarus was there, but he and his disciples came to Bethany, and it says here, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, Martha was probably a widow. A younger sister was Mary. And they again, I think, probably had met the two disciples that came into Bethany in order to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they believed. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so when Jesus Christ is coming through, maybe those two disciples went to Martha and Mary said, hey, listen, can Jesus Christ stay at your house? They didn't have hotels back in that day, so they stayed there at Mary and Martha's house. So, now they went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. Imagine if you were going to have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, over for dinner, ladies. And he probably was staying overnight as well, to mention well, you'd be working really hard to get the place ready. That's a pretty special guest. Now, I don't know, I'm just thinking here, maybe Jesus Christ showed up early. He was supposed to show up at 4 o'clock, <laughs> and he got there like at 3. Have you ever had that happen? You've had guests, and, okay, come around, be here at 4 o'clock. And they show up like at 3.30. And you're already a half hour behind. <laughs> so you've got an hour of work to do before you can even connect with them. You'd like to say, hey, run out to the car, tell them go to the McDonald's down the street, hang out there, and we'll call when we're ready. I mean, don't they know you'd never show up early? <laughs> well, couldn't do that. So what we typically do is, oh, come on in, so good to see you. And you leave one relative in the front room to you know, kind of dialogue with them, and everybody else is scurrying in the background. <laughs> well, maybe this was the situation. Jesus Christ showed up, and Martha is going, what are they doing here now? We have so much more work to do. So it goes on in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Martha's scurrying around, and Mary, I don't know if she was assigned to go sit there initially, but she just went down and sat there. And she just started talking with Jesus. And she sat at his feet, which was very unusual because back in that day, women were second class citizens. If you were a rabbi, some rabbis didn't even teach women. 
But if you did teach women, maybe they'd be in the very, very back of the room or they'd be in the women's section of the synagogue, but they'd never be right at your feet. That's unheard of. But, of course, Jesus was always breaking all kinds of cultural barriers because he was bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. And men, women, children, they are all equal in the eyes of God. And Jesus demonstrated that in the way he related with women and children. So she's sitting there at his feet. Now, again, can you imagine sitting at Jesus' feet, looking directly into his eyes? You can see him face to face, and he's teaching you, and you're asking questions. What a, what a rich experience that must have been. She just must have been riveted on him. She was all there. <laughs> for Jesus, 100% of her mind and body and presence was right there for Jesus Christ. Now, Martha, she's still working. And it's taken her longer than maybe she expected. Maybe she's starting to get jealous of Mary talking to Jesus in there. And she says, Mary, maybe she... Sent some cues to Mary, kind of like you know, walking back and forth. <laughs> well, it's good. <laughs> Couldn't get her attention, maybe. Who knows? And finally, Martha just loses it. <laughs> she loses it. But Martha was distracted. That's a key word there. Distracted. She was distracted from spending time with Jesus with much serving. She's really busy, and she wasn't being with Jesus. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, if she believes that he's the Messiah, that's quite a thing to say, right? Don't you know? Catch a clue here. (laughs) Have you guys seen me going in and out? of the room here, have you picked up on my stress vibe? Aren't you going to do this? Something about this, Jesus? Come on now. You tell my sister to help me. This really sounds like my house and my kids. (laughs) I go up to my children and I say, hey, could you do this particular chore? And they say, yes, Father. Your will be done. Not mine. Anybody have a kid say that to you at any time? (laughs) No, I don't think so. You know what they're primarily concerned about? Where are the other brothers? Okay. What are they doing? Why aren't they helping out here? How many hours have they served around the house this past week? Let's get the, the chart out in terms of hours and find out if this is totally fair. (laughs) <laughs> you ever been there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where Martha was at. She was saying, this is not fair. Mary gets to sit at Jesus' feet, and I'm doing all the work. And she just loses it and says, Jesus, fix this situation. There's something wrong here. There are things that need to be done. I have expectations. I've got this long to-do list. And get me some help. So we can honor you. 
<laughs> Her priorities are all out of line, but we understand, don't we, what she's saying and, and what she's thinking. And what she didn't understand is that the main event had already started. Jesus Christ had arrived, and she needed to be sitting there with Mary at His feet. The preparations didn't matter to Jesus. The meal didn't matter to Jesus. The only thing He wanted to do was to be with Mary and Martha. He wanted to spend time with them. But Martha, her priorities were out of line. And therefore came the frustration. Jesus Christ, in verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. This is a rebuke, but it's a gentle rebuke. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I think that probably as I look back at this last week, Jesus was whispering to me, Dan, (laughs) Dan, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Unfortunately, I wasn't listening very well. And many times that's the case. We just think that we'll get to Jesus once we get our life under control. <laughs> right? Yeah, we got to get our life under control, and then we go to Jesus, hang out with Him, you know, say, God, you can bless all my plans. We, we think if we, we try harder, we think faster, we work harder, we plan more, that it's going to come together. And then we can spend time with Jesus. Now, Jesus says in verse 42, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He's saying one thing, one thing is necessary. And that is a relationship with me. And a relationship that continues to mature and grow. You are to be dependent on me in every way. Jesus Christ is saying, one thing, and that's me. And we love to proclaim the gospel here at Springbrook, the truth that we're all sinners. We're rebellious toward God. and The Bible says the penalty of that sin is eternal separation from Him and God didn't want that, so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to this earth to live a perfect life and to represent us by taking our sin upon Himself, dying in our place, suffering for us in order that we not, might not be punished, saving us from that penalty, dying, being resurrected, in order that you and I today can claim that gift of salvation. We can go to God and we can say, Lord, I know that I've sinned. 
I know there's no way that I can work my way to you, which most people think. Somehow I'm going to work my way to God. Even people who say, yeah, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but they're still trying to work their way to God. It does not work. i got nothing, Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I repent of my sin. Please come into my life. Be my Lord. And I want your gift of salvation. And just acknowledging that, believing that, you become a Christ follower at that time, and the Holy Spirit enters you and empowers you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you could never have imagined. And so, from that point on, you move forward, deepening that relationship with Christ, dependent upon Him, seeking to be more like Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is by having that intimacy with Him on a daily basis, as we've talked so many times about, being involved with other Christ followers, letting the Spirit's power flow through you. That's the one thing. The one thing that we need to be about. We need to be all there for Jesus. And again, just reflect upon this week, those of you who are Christ followers, how much time were you there all week for Jesus? I mean, even think about your daily office, your time with God. Think about that time. Were you all there for Him? Or was your mind spinning? And It's hard. It's hard to focus in. But that certainly is a very, the main application from this passage is to be all there with Jesus and cultivate that relationship that will transform your life. In verse, uh, or Matthew 6, 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Get away from all the distractions, it's saying. Remove the distractions and spend time with God. Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So be still. And know that I am God. So that means we've got to stop. We've got to be all there for God. We've got to take time to think and reflect and listen to Him. Be still, because if you're moving, it's implying you can't fully understand me. If you're trying to catch me on the run, it's not going to work. You need to set time aside. Be still and know that I am God. Learn about me. All right, so that's the primary teaching of this passage. Now we're going to go to a secondary application of this passage and take a look at it from the perspective, okay, we, we love God, that's our primary relationship. Our secondary relationships are with other people. How do we love other people? How many are on Facebook? All right. Yeah, got a few of you on Facebook. Great thing, Facebook. I don't put a lot on there for say my wife keeps me posted on the you know news ticker. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see pictures of people in their life and and that type of thing. The thing I like best about Facebook is that it's so easy to make friends, isn't it? Now I have it come directly to my email box because I'm not on there a lot, so I'll get this email say this person wants to be friends with you. Sometimes I don't know who the person is. So I'm saying, okay, who is this person? So I go onto their profile, and 
I don't recognize uh, this happened this past week. I don't recognize this person. They live in Minneapolis. <laughs> so what do you do? You look at mutual friends. Okay, who who do, does this person know that I know? And if there are at least just one reputable person, I say, come on, join the party. You can be my friend. Of course. Why would I say no to this person? Because I'm not a good user. So I was like, come on, you know. Be a part of my feed. I never read it. But the point is, <laughs> uh, now, what puzzles me, though, is I go onto their profile and I'm looking for their phone number. Because if this person wants to be friends with me, well, I want to hang out with them, right? But I can't find no phone number on Facebook. So what do I have to do if it's a person in the area? What if I just posted, hey, thanks for making me your friend. This is the highlight of my day. I would like to meet you tonight at Panera Bread at Algonquin and Randall. And I'll even buy you a drink there. Let's meet. What do you think that person would do? Well, they would unfriend me. They might call the police. <laughs> Let's face it. Mark Zuckerberg and company have redefined the word friend. It's unfortunate, isn't it? Because what is a friend? A friend is somebody who truly cares about you. A friend is somebody who prays for you. A friend is somebody who is willing to take time to sit down with you one-on-one, face-to-face, look you in the eyes, listen to you, and love you. A friend is a person you can call in an emergency when there's nobody else to call who you think would care that much to interrupt their schedule. A friend is a person you can pour your heart out to. A friend is a person that you share your life with. And we all know there aren't many true friends as we walk through life. We have a lot of acquaintances no doubt about that, but uh, true friends are hard to find. And when you have a true friend, you should rejoice. That's what real friendship is all about. You know, as I, re- I reflect upon the technological networking, social networking that's gone on with Facebook and Twitter, and they got texting. LinkedIn, all those different types of sites and all those different ways we can communicate with one another. I'm not bashing at all. I'm, my main concern is that we're raising generations of young people and also teaching other people that you can get by with superficial relationships where you know all about a person. You know what they ate for lunch. I don't know why anybody would post that. But... <laughs> cares. Uh, the point being is you, you can know all about them, but you have no real relationships. You just have these artificial relationships, and you think you're in the loop, and you think everybody's concerned about you, and you know they'll say, you know, they'll like something. Oh, I had 45 likes. That must mean something. I don't know. <laughs> the point is, 
people, I think, can become addicted to that. Instead of spending the time and the energy, the hard work it takes to devote yourself to one or two or three people on a regular basis, interfacing with them, doing life with them. And I, I just really have concerns about the future of relationships uh, in our culture. Again, nothing wrong with these things, but they can be overused. And you just have to look at how you're using them. <laughs> we, we've never been more connected. And we've never been more lonely. Right? That is strange. And that's what I love about God's church. Is that you can come here. And some of you are newer. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you for checking out our family. But you can come here, and if God has called you to be here, you can establish real relationships. For example, we're kicking off our small groups. We're all studying, again, the same topic. This is an ideal time to get involved in a small group. When anybody decides to leave Springbrook, I always want to know why they left and if there's anything that we can do better, mistakes that we made, issues we can work through. But the first question I ask them, were you involved in a small group or were you involved in ministry? And many times they'll say no to that. And there's nothing magical, I might say, about being involved in those things. But the truth is, is that people won't stay at a church they don't have relationships at, typically. So whatever church you go to, your primary, uh, well, the first thing you need to do is develop relationships. And the way you can do that most effectively is through small groups and is through getting involved in ministry. And so when you come here, you see people that you know, and it feels like home if you don't know anybody. No matter what you think of the service or our different ministries, it's not going to meet your needs. So I encourage you to, to join a small group. This blue insert in your program. You can fill that out. Please go back to our ministry counter. And let them know about your interests, and they can show you all the different small groups and things like that. But we're trying to create as many different opportunities so that you can connect with other people, and more importantly, that you can build Christ-centered relationships. Now, a lot of different levels of relationships, acquaintance, uh, somebody that you know better than an acquaintance, and and then you have deep friendships. And usually this is with your spouse and with your kids and maybe just a couple other people. But you want to have relationships, of course, at every level. But another beautiful thing about being at a church for a long period of time, many times what happens, I mean, just think back on your experience here at Springbrook, for those of you who've been here a while. Think about some really... In fact, I'd just like to ask you, raise your hand if this is true. If you found a really good friend since you came to Springbrook, not a casual friend, but a really good friend, raise your hand. Okay? Right there. That's the proof. So if you're looking for really good friends, Christ-centered friends, stick around. It takes time. It's not going to happen in the first six months. But over time, God's going to lead you to that person. Okay? That's a beautiful thing. Now, let's talk about uh, this challenge that we have. What I encourage you to do is to find or think about three different people 
that you want to have a stronger relationship with. There are three different types of relationships. We have, first of all, your spouse, then you have your child, and then your friend. Now, with friend, I would say any other relatives you have or a person you're dating, they'd fall into that particular area. So spouse, child, or friend. Maybe you want to pick three people to focus on during the next 30 days. So when I talk about focus on, I'm talking about people that you're praying for, people that you're intentionally spending time with, one-on-one time. Uh, You're asking the Lord to teach you, to give you insight into how you can work on that relationship, what you need to change. Don't don't count on them changing. (laughs) You change first and let the Lord do the rest. Now, you have different levels of health of relationships. For example, you might have a struggling relationship with your adult child. There's just a lot of history there, and maybe it's a totally broken relationship. Maybe it's a uh, relationship full of tension right now. There's been a misunderstanding. Maybe there's a distance-type relationship. Maybe that's what you want to work on. Or maybe a stagnant relationship. Maybe you have a stagnant marriage. Things aren't bad. Things are not necessarily really good. They're just, you know, kind of flatlined in a way. And you say, I want to bring it up another level. Or maybe you have a strong relationship. Maybe you have a strong friendship with somebody. And you kind of take it for granted. And the point is, use some of that time that you might use with technology, artificial relationships, and devote more time to that real relationship that will carry you years uh, into the future. So that's, that's what I ask, is choose three relationships this month to focus on. And the thing you want to do, as we've talked about, is to be all there. To be all there. And that is more challenging than it's ever been. <laughs> Watching uh, Andy Griffith uh, and uh, <laughs> Mayberry. Uh, my wife turns it on. so I, I, I like it, too. <laughs> it's so simplistic. It's so, you know, and they're just sitting around. <laughs> Don't these people have a life? Aren't there things to do? (laughs) Don't you kind of wish you were born in a different time sometimes and life was just slower? We're just so focused on performance and getting things done and better and better. I'm sure it's always been that way, but it just seems like 50 years ago, Things were slower, and it was just less stressful. And, of course, there's a lot of things that are a part of that mix. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to be all there. It really is. You come home from work, and you're just, you're exhausted. You're so tired. And so many of us are there physically, but we're not there mentally. Right? We're there. But we're not really there. And everybody knows it, except for us. I'm here. What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, Technology. Uh, Sometimes, you know, my family's sitting around. We're watching TV. We've all got a laptop. (laughs) You know, we're watching the TV. We're multitasking. Great family time, huh? (laughs) Great connections. No. Now, it's okay to do that sometimes, but you've got to make sure that you have those times where you're just sitting across, you know, at the dinner table talking face-to-face. 
making that a priority. But, you know, we all have agendas, things that need to be done. As I said before, we tend to push our relationships to the back burner. One of my sons gave me a call this Friday, and he said, Dad, can we get together? And all of a sudden, you know, my schedule goes through my mind. The weekend goes through my mind, and I'm thinking, don't have time for this. But then I started thinking about being all there. And then I said, sure, let's get together. We haven't talked in a while. And that's what it means to be all there. It means to to have holy interruptions in your life. Usually we view interruptions as as, uh, irritating, annoying. When we're doing something and our wife or husband asks us to do something or listen to them or our child comes in and asks something of us and it's okay if you're really in the midst of something to say, okay, give them a time when you will be all there uh, for them or just stop right there as God leads you because that really is the most selfless thing to do. Very difficult. To stop right in the middle of whatever you're doing and say, okay, I'm going to be all there for you. You don't have to say that. But you do. You put everything aside. It's so selfless to be all there. That's why it's so hard for us I encourage you to get the wristband here, uh, the be-all-there wristband. It's a dollar. And wear that for the 30-day challenge. And that can remind you, wherever you are, whether it be at work, whether it be home, whether it be watching an athletic event, be all there. Whoever you're with, be all there. Give them your full attention. We're so fractured. How many have the iPhone 5? Anybody have the iPhone 5 out there? Oh, Deanna, oh, mercy. You better get out of here quickly. Because I, I see on the news they are stealing these things left and right. It, it really is quite disturbing. I saw one, you probably saw this on the news, you know, where the, the car drives through the Apple store's window and they just start grabbing all the iPhone 5s because at this point at least uh, they're easy just to pass on, you know, two, three hundred bucks, uh, quick money. So, well, you're really special. Did Mark do that for you? Oh, man, what a guy. Mark's uh, traveling a lot on the weekends. But he kudos to him. Kudos to him. You're the only one I know of so far. So tell Mark that, okay? Yeah, that's, that's great, you know? I, I'm an Android guy. Um, that's more sophisticated users. But um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the point being is that these people are crazy, man. I mean... The first day it came out, you had people paying $1,000 just to get a, a place in line, and they're sending to Russia for $3,500. <laughs> what is the deal here? Well, people are into the newest thing. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is that that phone in our pocket, that smartphone, has become our gateway into our artificial world, Right? The ultimate multitasking tool. And I tell you what, I've been multitasking a long time. I mean, a long time. And I can testify to you that while sometimes it's useful, I agree with a study that recently came out and said it's not saving you any time. So I'm going to try to multitask less. Because why waste my time? Why miss out on the moments in life. If you're multitasking all the time, you're missing life. Yeah, God's been speaking to me about this lately. He says, Dan, you've got to live in the moment. You've got to be all there for me, be all there for people. 
you're too much in your head. You're too much thinking about the past and regrets you've had and you know, just all the junk from the past. Or you're thinking about the future. You're anxious about the future. So either you're regretting the past or you're, you're uh, anxious about the future. But you see, the beautiful thing here, guys, is as Christ followers, we can give our past to God. We know we're imperfect. We know we're sinful. And we can allow God to forgive us for whatever we've done in the past and work through all the baggage and the grief, whatever. And then for the future, well, we can give that to God too, right? And we can say, God, I give it to you. And that's hard to do. And many times we want to plan the future out and then give it to God. (laughs) So it's perfect. That's not good either. But I'm saying as Christ followers, because we have God on our side, He's our Father, He loves us, He's going to provide for us, we can live in the moment. We can be all there for people. We can connect with people and experience life to its fullest because God's holding everything together. Now, if I didn't have God, then I can see why people might be you know, guilty about the past, not sure what's going to happen in the future. But it's easier for us if we'll just put our trust in God. And what we learn from Mary and Martha... We learn from Mary. We're more like Martha. We're distracted by everything going on. We don't make time for relationships. She didn't make time for Jesus. But Mary put everything aside in order to focus upon Him. And Jesus Christ, this one thing, and I think also what Jesus Christ is saying, is that in life, relationships are the most important thing. And you've got to ask yourself, and I've got to ask myself, the way I lived this past week, was that really the way uh, were my values reflected in the way that I lived? Or were I, was I pushing relationships to the back burner and saying, another time, another time? The worst thing can be is when you're near the end of the life, you're near the end of your life, and say, I always put relationships in the back burner. Then you've lost out on so very much. All right, so... We're going to have a great 30 days here. Let me uh, give some quick challenges to you. First of all, we have a, a Facebook fast for one day a week over the next 30 days. So I would encourage you to take this challenge. And Facebook is just a name, but really it's a technology fast. No use of social networking sites. No Internet use for entertainment or relationships. Uh, just work in school. And take the time you save that particular day, whatever day you choose, to spend with a person face-to-face or with a phone call or Skype or something like that if they live far away. Uh, write them a letter. But devote that time to real relationships instead of artificial relationships. And, and let your Facebook friends know. You won't see me around for a day. <laughs> you know, point them to our website, point them to this message. And we're doing this at our church. It's a great way to witness. Uh, then uh, we have our September memory verse. I encourage you to continue to memorize that. And then we have our Love at Last Sight Challenge. So this is really what I'm talking about in regards to uh, asking you to uh, take this challenge on. Commitment to attend the next three weeks, at least, as we go through this 30 days, to buy the resources. Again, the book has 30 chapters. You read one every day. And there's a small group guide. They're $10 a piece. You can pick them up there, back there. And, again, if you don't have the resources, just tell them. Just say, I don't have the resources uh, for the books right now, and we just love to give them uh, to you. So th- those are the three things uh, that I'd ask you to do as part of the Love at Last Sight Challenge. 
Other challenges, small group involvement, we talked about that, keeping the relationship journal. There are questions after each chapter, daily chapter, uh, that you can uh, write your thoughts out and then bring to your small group uh, those insights. You download the iPhone or the Android app. Uh, you can access daily coaching videos via the Internet or the phone app. Uh, basically, they have 30 different videos. If you'd like to hear more, and uh, they've got those for you. And there's the website. So let's look at next steps. If you could take your programs out at this time and tear off the communication uh, slip, if everybody could do that. If you're new with us, fill out uh, the information. If you're a regular attender, just write down the names of the adults in your family and any prayer requests. But there's numbers under the name. And uh, write these, uh, circle the numbers that you want to make a commitment to. So I'll make a commitment to the Love at Last Sight Challenge. So that's the idea of being here and going through the book and that type of thing. Number two, I will make a commitment to attending and joining a small group. That would be number two. Number three, I'll invite someone else out to the Love at Last Sight Challenge. You receive some uh, some uh, invite cards. And I tell you, keep telling your friends about this. I, I gave a book, one of the books, to our neighbors last night and encouraged them to come out. So I can gift people in that way. I'll, I'll have a Facebook fast one day a week. Uh, meditate on our memory verse, and I'm interested in knowing more about a personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Now, to close our time together, I want to share with you a very uh, sobering and inspiring video on the importance of being all there. <laughs> 